the White Sox had their chance to take over this town. And after 2005, if we got into the playoffs another two, three years, that would have been a new generation of children that would have become White Sox fans. Mm -hmm. And we lost that opportunity. Now, the only way the White Sox will be vindicated now now all that work for us to win that world series in 2005 we as Sox fans we we were smug we could be like okay yeah well yeah you guys still everybody still loves the cubs but we won a world series well we lost that now for us to get that back we either have to a win another world series or b the Armageddon of all Armageddons is we play the cubs in the world series and we beat them that is the only way those those two things are the same. You realize, right? So you're basically saying you have to win the World Series. Oh, but Series. it'd be sweeter if you beat the Cubs in the World <laughs> Series. <laughs> yeah, your whole demeanor just changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Pastor, just your attention. Being nice, we've had more business in the area. Working on the track. Focus on the track. Welcome to Deeper Dish. Welcome back to Deeper Dish. Chicago has another baseball team, the Chicago White Sox. Today, we have Ed in studio, and he discusses his love and passion for the White Sox, his deep-seated hate for the Chicago Cubs, and how his Chicago Sox fandom came to be. Let's go, 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 White Sox. Chicago's proud of you. So before we get started on talking about our Chicago White Sox, tell me a little bit about your background here in Chicago. Are you a Chicagoan? Yes, born and raised. My family, I actually am a product of immigrants. My mom and dad were married in Jamaica back in 1961. And uh, I was conceived in Jamaica, but uh, born here in Chicago. So I don't have a, a real close tie to the, the homeland, as they say. I mean, I can't speak Patois. If I try to do that, my family will laugh me out of the room. But I do love the cuisine, and um, I keep telling myself every year <laughs> that I should go down to Jamaica and visit. And my dad and my brother, uh, we'd love to go down there. So it's just a matter of making the time to do that. So you um, haven't been in no 50 nope. years? Wow. no, no. no. And it's funny because people, you know, everybody I know has been to Jamaica. You never been to Jamaica? And I was like, no. I, I figure it's it's going to be there, so I'll I'll find some time. <laughs> it's going to be then, there. But on the flip side, I got to remember I may not be here, so I got to remember to make that a point to to go yeah. down there. I I can honestly say I've been to Jamaica four or five, probably actually six times, and I honestly still can't say I've been to Jamaica. I've always gone and done the resort route, right, right. Whereas right. my mom. She goes to Jamaica, and she goes to Jamaica, and she mm -hmm. goes in the mountains, and mm. she walks around. Yeah, she's there in the thick yeah. of things, yeah, the real Jamaica. Because I think sometimes people avoid experiencing the real Jamaica because they hear these stories about yeah, yeah. crime and right. violence. And those things might be true, but I, it's almost similar to what I tell people who don't live in Chicago is, yes, there is violence in Chicago, but you can go anywhere anywhere in the city and and, it, and you have a completely different experience that's right than what you read anyway as a non-jamaican who's been to the touristy parts i recommend going yes going i i better get on it right away because my wife has been i mean she's been there you know before we got married so uh, i have to make it a point to to do that because uh time is ticking so you were born here born here yep i know you're a Sox fan so are you from the south side um nope not a south sider i, I was born at cook county hospital 
and uh, really spent really all my life on the north side. I used to be in the Wicker Park area. And then from there, my mom and I, uh, well, after my mother divorced my stepfather, we moved to Humboldt Park for about seven years. And then from there, we moved to Evanston. We moved into Evanston in 1981, and uh, that's where my mom lives today. It's always been the north side for me. My sister and my brother-in-law live on the south side. My dad lives on the south side. So I, I do go in there, go into that area whenever I get a chance and visit my family. But yeah, the north side is where, where I've always been. Now, when we say north side, it's always been off the lake, you know. You're pretty much, when you say close to the lake, you're you're pretty much in cub territory. Oh, yeah. And so oh, the yeah. natural question would be, you grew up on the north side, mm-hmm. close to the lake. In, in the Chicago area, most people that live on the north side, especially mm-hmm. close to the lake, mm-hmm. are... Cubs fans. How did the the Sox fandom happen for you? And well, I'll, I'll tell you, it actually happened when I was on the West Side when I was living in Humble Park, and this was uh, 1973. I mentioned that uh, my mother and stepfather had gotten a divorce, and my mother and myself we we moved out to Humble Park and we started roots there. I didn't have many friends, so I used to the friend was my television and radio. So I really spent a lot of time immersed in that media. And oddly enough, I used to watch the Cub games because they were on WGN every day. And I used to sit and watch the game. Um, Jack Brickhouse was the announcer at the time. And, you know, take scores. I'd write the scores on a notebook. So I was at the time, I really, I, I was a Cub fan. It was hard to be a Sox fan at the time because they were on WSNS television, Channel 44, it was a UHF station, and you know the signal wasn't very good. So I didn't get into the White Sox until August 4th, 1974, where uh, neighbors from upstairs uh, invited me to go to a White Sox game with my friend at the time. So you remember the date? Yes. It was a doubleheader against the Texas Rangers. I remember, and it was the first time I ever went to a baseball game or any sporting event, mm-hmm. and I remember going to um, Old Comiskey Park, pay for our tickets and, you know, walk down the ramp. And all of a sudden I just saw this whole big ballpark and it was nothing like I imagined. It was, it was just huge because when you're watching baseball on television, you know, it's condensed, but I, it was nothing like TV, especially when you're watching a baseball game on a 19 inch black and white television. And I said, Oh my God, this is, it's just crazy. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And it was a cloudy day too. A cloudy and drizzly day, but it didn't matter if the sun came out or not. I was just immersed in the experience of watching my first baseball game and sitting down on those old rickety wooden seats at Comiskey Park. There was a batter, a player by the name of Dick Allen, number 15 for the White Sox, African-American gentleman, and the game, it was a doubleheader. He hit two home runs. And every time he hit a home run, the White Sox were known for their exploding scoreboard. And I wasn't aware. I didn't know what this thing was. But once that home run was hit, the scoreboard and the fireworks went off. And I'm sitting in this wooden chair and the earth just really shook. I mean, you felt the the vibrations of the explosions and the fireworks. And I was transfixed. I, I lost my mind. I lost my mind that day. White Sox! White Sox! Go! Go! White Sox! Let's go, go, go! White Sox! We're with you all the way! You're always in there fighting and you do your best We're glad to have you out here in the morning
stay to see both games, and the Sox won both ends of the doubleheader, and I was hooked after that. You know, you have those times in your life that are moments Mm -hmm. that you'll never forget. That was one of them. There's this moment when you saw the stadium, and it just, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. what about it that, that made you feel so connected? It was amazing to me because unlike television, when you're seeing just the focus of the teams playing, the camera focusing on the batter, what struck me about being at that ballpark and watching the White Sox game was seeing the players doing other things. You're seeing them chewing tobacco. You're seeing them tossing the ball around. You're seeing them do things that would seem mundane on television. Mm -hmm. But when you're out there at the ballpark for the first time and you're seeing these things, they're normal, but they're almost extra normal, you know, tossing the ball around, talking to each other. And then, of course, the sights and the smells of the popcorn and, and and also to the fans. You know, I remember a couple rows down, I remember this old guy was uh, chomping on a cigar and, you know, he's holding his program watching, you know, and, and he's like I used to do, taking notes of the Cubs game. Mm-hmm. He had his program marking down the the strikes and balls and you know, who got struck out of the inning. So it was that same type of thing, but it was more on a grandiose scale. And now you, they have microphones everywhere now yeah, on, yeah, on TV. Yeah. But there are things like the sound of the ball hitting the glove, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. sound of the crack mm-hmm. of the bat, mm-hmm. right? That you, back in the day, you couldn't mm-hmm. get that That's true. on That's TV true. or That's true. the slider. You know, you hear mm-hmm. those, those details to mm-hmm. me or when nothing's going on, right. you just hear the sound of a baseball environment. Right. Fans, right, right. the chatter that you don't pick up on. Like there's the one thing that baseball I believe has over other sports is that if you truly if the fan if, if a fan truly loves baseball, they don't need a cheerleader. They don't need all the stuff you get like at the I love the, 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 the they don't, breads and circuses. All, of, yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm, like yep. the, the the environment itself right. Right. it draws you in. That's right. That's baseball right. has its other problems with the game the game itself may be too mm-hmm. slow and mm-hmm. it may be not um fast paced enough right but you can get by on the sounds and the mm-hmm. elements of the stadium and being around the people mm-hmm. and you know and the, the the baseball tune and music that they play the traditional mm-hmm. that'll get you through you don't right. need all the the other stuff what i always look at baseball especially when you're watching the playoffs or even if you're at a playoff game or even just a regular game where it's the bottom of the ninth inning and you're you're looking at a rally, it's the controlled tension. Everyone is at the edge of their seats waiting for something to happen. It's like watching a, a chess game almost, like, okay, what what's the next move? When you're watching a game on television, like when you're watching the playoffs and there's a heightened moment, once that pitch is released, it seems like a nanosecond of quiet. Basically, everyone in the uh, in the stands are holding their breath, mm-hmm. and then there's this. Once the, the ball hits the mitt, or if the ball hits the bat, then the crowd reacts. One second, maybe two seconds of everyone holding their breath, and then boom. I've landed on this thing that in a four-hour game, three-hour game, baseball players only play baseball for like. 10 minutes <laughs> right no right, i mean like right. really play baseball right. they're standing mm-hmm. and then right like you said right when the pitcher is about to do his windup they get set right and then something happens or something doesn't happen they get they get relaxed again right right, right. they start kicking dirt it's that moment when they get set that's that's the game mm-hmm. the yeah. moment when they come up and they're ready for the pitcher to deliver 
I've calculated 10 minutes mm-hmm. total mm-hmm. In a, out of a four-hour period. And the rest of it is just like standing around. Like you could be a left fielder and a right fielder. You could potentially never have a ball hit to you. Right. It's almost like, okay, I'm at the ready. And each of the nine players on the field, they're waiting for the opportunity. It's an amazing amazing sport. I love it because of the nuances that you're talking about. When people say that baseball is boring, I do understand their point, but at the same time, when you start looking at baseball in a micro level, I think you can enjoy it a lot more because of the fact that there's these little pieces you know, like with basketball, you can play basketball in a controlled environment. Your Michael Jordans or your LeBron James will automatically hit baskets all day long. But then on one day you're hot hitting a baseball, but you're facing a different pitcher or you're facing a different ballpark right. with the different dimensions or you're facing the weather. That's to me is why baseball is so cool to watch. Baseball is not a boring sport. Baseball is a boring sport relative to its peers and relative to where young people are now. Mm -hmm. Everything's instantaneous. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen with baseball? Because it's a slow game. And how do you engage the youth that are sitting there? They're not being engaged with the nuances we're talking about because after every pitch, they're going to pick up their phone or they're going to be so engaged that they're going to miss the play. When I was a kid, we used to play baseball in the Chicago alleys mm-hmm. because baseball was on television every day. And of course, we only had three networks. Baseball was the default. And that's all we saw because you're looking at what, 162 games or, you know, uh, WGN. That was something you see all the time. In suburbs, you'd somehow you'd find a few kids to go out and play baseball in the park. You don't see that anymore, at least in the city, uh, where it's like, okay, let's grab a whole bunch of guys to play baseball out in the field because somebody gets tired of running after the ball after a while. Whereas basketball, a more controlled environment, um, you know that 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 game is very suited. You 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 can you and the buddy can just pick up a basketball and 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 play. The other thing about technology is now you can be engaged with your friends through Facebook. Back in the day, you had to go play baseball. That was the thing you did. If I want to see my friends, I'm going to go play baseball. If I mm-hmm. want to see my friends, mm-hmm. I have to go outside and play mm-hmm. it or mm-hmm. tag or whatever you want right. to call it. Right. Now it's like, oh, I, t- I talk to Johnny right. or I talk to you know Sharif. But wait, when did you talk to him? Oh, just on Facebook. We were mm-hmm. just chatting. Technology is great, but it also can form and shape people's opinions about things that are near and dear to us. I didn't fall in love with the sport. I fell in love with the experience right. of baseball, right. going to the game, of the food, and being in, around all these people mm-hmm. and just having a good time. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like the sports Vegas where you can have young people, you can have old people, you can have black oh, yeah. people, brown yeah, people, yes, everybody. Yes. You yeah. experienced a different Chicago than I did, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and But your Chicago experience is probably better than your parents' mm-hmm. Chicago experience, mm-hmm. and my experience is probably slightly better than yours. Right. But very rarely have I ever had any problems with race issues at a ballpark. Everything is love at the ballpark. Right. It was almost like the baseball stadium was like this sacred place. Right. You know, it was hallowed. Like- I liken just sports in general, especially, you know, once the color barrier was broken in football, in baseball, and you're seeing these players play together and you see them interacting with each other like they're going to war with each other even in basketball when you're seeing people work together color 
is not supposed to be in the way or gender is not supposed to be the way we are working together for one major goal so in your early i would say your formative baseball fandom years who's your favorite player to watch and why i go back to dick allen was it just because of the, the home runs that day, or was it... He started it. I yeah. didn't know who Dick Allen was until I saw him play baseball that okay. day. And then I lost my mind. My mother started getting me... I asked for everything baseball. She got me this uh, uh, magazine, this little... It was like the size of a TV guide. It was called Baseball Digest. I used to look for Dick Allen's stats, and... I looked at him. He was like a father figure to me because he was strong. He was a, a wonderful home run hitter. He used to hold this this huge heavy bat, and I could not wait till he came up to the plate. And you know, is he going to drill a home run into center field? I love that guy. At the time, those the White Sox were wearing their red pinstripe uh, uniforms, and even on my Facebook page, I have a picture of him uh, as a White Sox player. The majesty of that man, you know, unfortunately, that man should be a Hall of Famer, but he's not in the Hall of Fame and who knows if he'll ever be. But that was my first favorite player, Dick Allen. I had the opportunity to meet him finally about three, four years ago because the White Sox gave him a special day and I got to meet him in one of the upper fan boxes and he wrote a book called Crash and I brought that book with me and he signed it. From a sports perspective, this was your idol. How was it when you finally met the person? There was a line of people waiting to talk to him. And when I saw him, he just turned and looked at me because he had his big, big glasses. And all of a sudden, I just started telling him about that game I saw in 1974 and how much he made a big difference in my life. I wanted to tell him more, but yeah. you know, I didn't want to keep going on and on and on because I would love to have a good half hour talking to him about the difference he made in my life early on because, you know, uh, I was a product of a very troubling time in the 1970s. It was a divorce. I was a latchkey kid and I felt lost. Baseball helped me round myself and watching Dick Allen and seeing him play and seeing him being revered by Chicago White Sox fans, it made me feel good. It gave me hope that as dark as the world was at that time for me, that something good was going to happen for me in the future. Didn't know what it was. I would love to express that to him, but to, to really answer your question, he smiled and he kept saying thank you. I was walking on, on air after that. No, that's awesome. That's a great experience. My memory with the White Sox is the environment. For everyone listening, I'm a White Sox fan. Is, You're a good man. It's taken, yeah, it's, it's some tough times, right? right. Oh, yeah. Um, it's taken in the environment, but it was also one of the few ways that I could bond with my maternal grandfather. Outside of that stadium, probably weren't great times, but inside the stadium, we had great times. We talked, caught up on each other's lives, but the backdrop for all that was the White Sox. He was kind of known as like a tough guy, but he would talk to me in that environment kind of like a peer as a friend and that was not his personality outside the stadium every time i go to games now people say and i hate to admit it they're like what was the score of the game i'm like i don't know i was too mm -hmm. busy i was catching up with this person you know right I the beautiful thing about the game is the pauses will allow you to do that yeah you don't miss too much at a baseball game where if you're watching hockey or something or yep. maybe even football or basketball you you can easily miss things that's, again, the beauty of the sport. I went with my uncle. I got to learn a lot of stuff about my uncle that I didn't know about. We were watching baseball, and he was telling me about how he used to play football in high school, and this, this is stuff I didn't know. No, as White Sox fans, we've experienced a lot of disappointment with our Sox. 
What's the first time you remember being utterly disappointed? It still hurts. Yes, we won a World Series in 2005, but 1983. Okay. The 1983 playoffs against the Baltimore Orioles was an extreme disappointment because the White Sox should have beaten the Orioles. In 83, the Sox had an, an incredible year. When I was down in Bloomington my freshman year, heck, all I had was a clock radio. And if you're in Bloomington, Indiana, nobody cares about the White Sox. Nobody cares about that that stuff. So I used to try to take my little radio and put it near the window to try to get a WMAQ AM 670 from Chicago. It's a 50,000-watt radio station, so sometimes you can pick it up and sometimes you can't. I would try to get the score every night, and this was in September as the Sox were about to win the pennant. We had the magic number. So I would call the local radio station in Bloomington to get the Sox scores every night. And it was so funny because, you know, I called the DJ who during his break, I'd say, hey, did the White Sox win? And what was the score? He got to know me and he's like, oh, hey, Ed, how's it going? Okay, yeah, the Sox lost or the Sox won. And when they won the division against the Mariners in 83, it was the best thing in the world. It was the first time that a Chicago team got into the playoffs since the Bears of the late 70s. And I was just out of my head, but I was stuck down in Bloomington and I was the only one excited my dorm guys they didn't care about the White Sox but when the playoffs came we won game one with Lamar Hoyt who was our ace he won two to one it was a five-game series and the Sox lost the next two games game four was held in Chicago Britt Burns was on the mound and he pitched the game of his life the man pitched his butt off there was no runs for most of the game it was 0-0 into the 10th inning, and they left Britt Burns in there. Unfortunately, uh, Tito Landrum for the Orioles got to the plate and smacked a home run right into the left field stands. So 10th inning, they left the starter they, in? Yeah, they let, they let because Britt was pitching his brains out. But see, I mean, the man was tired. He was gassed. So yeah. I think we ended up losing 3 to nothing. We lost the series, and then Baltimore went on to win the World Series against Philadelphia. That was the World Series we should have had. The problem with the Sox in that playoff, we forgot how to hit. Fisk, Kittle, all those guys forgot how to hit. I have a disappointing moment, two of them. One of them was self-inflicted, and the other one was not. It was a lockout year. That was 94. It was it 94? Yeah. So Frank Thomas was leading in every category for the Triple Crown. He was having an MVP season. I forgot. Yeah, that's a, the White that Sox tough. was mm-hmm. in first place by a large margin, and they said the Sox would have been in the World Series that year. Yeah, that one hurt for me. Yeah, the Sox I, fan. I remember that. There was like a seven-year period where Frank Thomas was the greatest hitter of all time. He had put together indeed the best seven years. This is before Barry Bonds did what he did. This was the best seven-year period ever in the history of baseball. Monster. And we had the pitching. Blackjack McDowell. Yeah, we had a team. So that one hurt. The other one that hurt, and I think it might have been a few years later, we were two or three games out behind Cleveland, and we did the fire sale. The white flag trade. And we just traded two or three Mm -hmm. former future all-star pitchers away with no rationale. Well, yeah, I remember Reinsdorf said anyone thinks the White Sox would catch up with the Indians to overtake them in the division. You'd be crazy thinking that. I remember that a lot of Sox fans were upset about that. There's a third one. It was my fault. I was in graduate school when the White Sox went to the World Series. And I had a friend who worked for the White Sox who told me prior, if you want to go, let me know. 
I literally had a group project and I felt like I shouldn't let my group for business school down. But I look back, I don't regret much in life. I should have gone to the World Series. Yeah, and your, your team would have understood too. They were actually trying to encourage me. But yeah, I, I thought yeah. they were just saying that to be nice. And, and like, we really don't want you to. And then I remember for the group project, I couldn't even focus in our presentation <sighs> because I was so pissed that yeah. I didn't go to the game. That's a tough one, yeah. Palmero over the head of Jenks. Uribe charges, throws, out! And the White Sox have won the World Series! Juan Uribe with a play, charging it, throwing it, and the White Sox celebrate their first title in 80 I cried like a baby when the, the White Sox won the World Series in 2005. When we won game four, I'm living in Evanston. It was just funny because we're up here on the north side, and I remember walking outside, and it's quiet. Quiet. All through Evanston. And really all through the north side because the Sox won the World Series. And, you know, I, and I was just, I felt alone. My high school buddy, Art, the plan was, okay, I'm going to meet you at a north side bar, of course, that which was crazy. I'm going to drive down and uh, we're going to, you know, celebrate the White Sox winning the World Series. Yeah. And I got in my car and I drove south on Chicago Avenue in Evanston. I had my Sox pennant on my car and I'm honking my horn, honking it. And I get to Chicago and Dempster, and I see there's this Evanston cop that sees me, and, and I pass him. So I naturally stop honking my horn. So, of course, he comes behind me. And I'm like, oh, brother, he's going to pull me over. <laughs> I'm like, damn. You know, he's just like, and I'm like, okay, okay, great. Now I got this cop following me. And right when I got to the border between Chicago and Evanston, he gets on his um, PA and says, congratulations, sir, but please stop honking your horn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I was pleasantly surprised at how the city celebrated the White Sox winning. Like I was the, too. The parade I was too. and the, the mayor, even though I didn't have the best relationship with my grandfather, right. I was sad that he didn't get to see it. I was also excited because the White Sox won a World Series mm -hmm. before the Cubs did. Yes, me and too. I'm not afraid. That, yeah. I'm not afraid to admit it. No. There was probably like a 15-year period where... I hated the Cubs via the fans because they were just over the top, in your face. And I kept thinking, like, you haven't won shit. <laughs> right. like, and so for literally like 12 years, 13 years. Like, we had a run. We had, we had a run where we, one, we could say we won a World Series. And right. two, we were actually, because they started doing interleague play, we could claim that mm -hmm. we actually had the better record against them head-to-head. -head. But with that being said... I learned very quickly that my hate was not for all Cubs fans. It was certain Cubs fans. It definitely wasn't for the organization because I think right now it's one of the more well-run well organizations. I've targeted my angst to those specific fans because now I live within walking distance <laughs> right, of Wrigley, right, yep. which I swore I would never do. It wasn't until later I realized that I don't have a problem with the whole Cubs thing, but there was just a period of time where people were like, you have to make a choice. You can't come to our games. and I was like, seriously? This isn't... Rocket science, life or death, like nothing bad's going to happen if if I'm supportive. But when the Cubs won, I was actually excited for them to experience what we experienced in 2005. Because it's a, it's a great feeling to, to be the best and to have waited so long. How do you feel about Cubs and Cubs fans? Can you root for the Cubs? Can you not root against the Cubs? No, 
I, I can't root for the Cubs, and I will never root for the Cubs. <laughs> I haven't been to Wrigley Field since 1993, and when I went to that game, I wasn't even paying attention. I just, see, I just wanted to really get out disgusted. of there. Well, right, and 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 there's there's several reasons why. When I go to Comiskey Park, one, you go to Comiskey Park, or a Guaranteed Rate Field, you see a diverse group of fans. Uh, the White Sox have always been diverse. They've always been welcoming to the neighborhood that they're in. And I'm sorry, I, I, I feel comfortable at a Sox game. Plus, the food is really good. That's one. Two, the White Sox are the redheaded stepchildren of Chicago sports, and especially with baseball. I've just now accepted that. Even Wheel of Fortune dissed us. Did yes. you see that? Yeah. Yes, recently. And the reason why I did not want the Cubs to win the World Series because I knew this was going to happen. Because when the Cubs got into the World Series, everybody forgot about the White Sox, and I knew it. ESPN snubbed us. The Tribune, they made a mistake. I think it was the Washington Post. Everybody forgot that the White Sox won. And get this, the Sox have been in the World Series twice, back in 59 and 2005. Okay, but people don't remember that stuff. I have a Facebook post called Drowning in W's, where during that whole Cub stuff went down you know i'd say my little pithy things and just say how how much i hated the fact that the city is becoming disneyland now because oh my god the cubs won it oh this is great i I just it makes me angry the white Sox had their chance to take over this town and after 2005 if we got into the playoffs another two three years that would have been a new generation of children that would have become white Sox fans Mm -hmm. and we lost that opportunity now the only way the White Sox will be vindicated. Now, now all that work for us to win that World Series in 2005, we as Sox fans, we, we were smug. We could be like, okay, yeah, well, yeah, you guys still, everybody still loves the Cubs, but we won a World Series. Well, we lost that. Now, for us to get that back, we either have to, A, win another World Series, or B, the Armageddon of all Armageddons is we play the Cubs in the World Series and we beat them. That is the only way. Those those two things are the same, you realize, right? So you're basically saying you have to win the World oh, Series. Oh, but it'd be sweeter if you beat the Cubs in the World Series. <laughs> yeah, your whole demeanor just changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In 2003, when the Cubs, when the whole Bartman thing was, mm. I, I laughed my ass off. Wow. It was beautiful. The hate is pouring out. I was living in Bensonville. I purposely did not want to see the Cubs when they were playing the Marlins. I was listening to WBEZ. I was listening to jazz all throughout the game. And then the guy comes on the radio and says, oh, well, you know, the Cubs are uh, five outs away from getting into the World Series. So I said, okay, fine. Let me take my medicine. I turned off the radio and watched the game. And the whole Bartman thing started to unfold. And I was living in an apartment at the time. And... I started laughing. I was laughing my ass off. I said, I cannot believe this stuff. You turn in your TV on. Yes. It. Yeah. Yes. And I remember the guy next door to me who I didn't know, didn't yeah. know him. He started pounding on the wall and saying, shut the fuck up. Because <laughs> you were laughing so Yes. Laugh. I watched game seven at a bar. And the bartender in Bentonville was a Sox fan. And we watched it and we saw the Cubs lose. And we were just laughing and looking at all the Cub fans just File out of the bar, and it was yeah. it was wonderful. I actually felt bad for them because, like we did, our hearts were into it, and they got their hearts broken. And I saw they were panning on fans that were still in the stadium. After the Game 7, they were just in disbelief. Like, how could this happen? 
they were destroyed. Their baseball sports souls were just ripped from them. They realistically thought that they were going to win the World Series that year. They were destined to do it if they got past the Marlins. It was their destiny. And I was like, you can't have that feeling. You know, every game is an opportunity to win it and lose it. And you have truly got yourself mentally to the place where you think it belongs to you without even playing a game. It belongs to you. There's no way we can lose this. We got our three best pitchers coming up and we're playing at home. I was just like, the arrogance, you know? And some guy who's a lifelong Cubs fan, who's wearing headphones, who keeps score, the irony is just like, it's not, it wasn't his fault. No. There were a whole bunch of other outs that no. could have been gotten. But I wish the Sox had opportunities like that. I always thought that the White Sox would do better if they had their ballpark out in Page County or one of those. Kind really? Of, I mean, oh, yeah. They'd have a better draw. Would you still be a Sox fan? Oh, heck yeah. Really? Oh, heck yeah. I'd go out to DuPage County. I think that, you know, unfortunately, because of the, you know, there's a lot of folks that just will not go to the South Side to see a game. That's always been an issue with them. When they're winning, people will go. You know, in the last few years, they, I didn't want to go. It's not because, oh, they suck. I would get mad when I would see the type of play. And my wife, she gives me a hard time about this all the time. When I go to a Sox game and they're they're bad and they suck and they're you know I get mad at the game I don't enjoy myself I'll take her to a game and she's she's like well why don't you just enjoy the game have a beer you know have a hot dog no because it's like I they're making me mad <laughs> that's why it's actually easier for me to go to like a Loyola game or go to a game of a team I'm unaffiliated with because I can watch it without getting emotionally rested right but i can't go to a Sox game and not i can't go to a bulls game without getting emotionally involved i can't go to any of my sports teams i've started adopting other teams because you know when the coaches say the wins don't make up for the losses Mm -hmm. i'm kind of at that point Mm -hmm. where like even if we win i'm like oh we could have done it better or oh we're on a six game winning streak oh what about the three games before that streak happened we could have right know. right i'm in that camp it's no fun probably going to a game I have to calm myself down. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming your favorite moment was the World Series. Oh, yeah. What about it outside of winning? Was it the sweep? Was it was it the El Duque? I think the dominance shocked me of the White Sox during that whole World Series run when they won 11 games and lost only one. As a lifelong White Sox fan, that doesn't happen. The dominance they're considered a small market team. We're the third largest market in the country. But that type of dominance, that's Yankee dominance. When that happened, I'd still shake my head because it was insane. How they dispatched the Red Sox in three games. The Angels that year were tough, and they dispatched them too with pitching. And then they ran over the Astros. That to me is still unreal. When you look at The 85 Bears, they dominated the entire year. So when they won the Super Bowl in that fashion, that was predestined. You look at the Bulls championships, all six of them. You had the best player on the planet. That was predestined. But then when you look at the White Sox, a lot of those players, the only player really from that team that's in the Hall of Fame is Big Frank. Mm -hmm. Burley, I hope he gets in the Hall of Fame. And maybe Kernerko. But that's the only three I can tell you out of that team. It was lightning in a bottle. Since 2005, we've had up and down. You know, we lost 
charismatic, but also very dangerous Ozzy Guillen. Mm-hmm. We've gone through well, a few managers. Mm-hmm. We're constantly rebuilding and then getting distracted by mm-hmm. some big hitter that we overpay for right. to kind of sell tickets. Like you said, we're a small market team in a big market, so you, you have to keep the fans engaged and interested, so you bring in a big bat, but then you mortgage the future. How do you feel about the complete stripped-down rebuild? Do you think they're going to stay focused and see it through? Oh, yeah. Oh, they have to. They made the commitment to do that because they followed the Cubs template. They followed the Red Sox template. Tear it down, strip it down because when you have Reinsdorf who said, okay, let's tinker here, let's put a couple players here and there, and then you know, let's compete. It doesn't work. If you want this franchise to survive in Chicago, you're going to have to start over. I'm glad you have some great players. Eloy Jimenez, the right fielder. I think he's going to be good. You got Mancado, that's insane. I'm sure he's going to be great. Abreu, the pitching that we have, I'm sure it's going to do well, especially with our relief pitchers that are coming to the fold. Tim Anderson, great player. My concern with the White Sox is not necessarily at the manager level or at the player level. I think that they're doing the right thing. So you got to give them credit where credit's due. I think there's no worse place to be in any sports the way sports is structured than in the middle. You either got to be really good or really bad. So being really bad means sucking for a few years and building up talent, getting uh, cost-effective talent, you know, getting these long rookie deal players that outperform their contracts and they're good, or being really, really good team and spending a lot of money like the Yankees did, which is going to cost you money, but it's going to make you a lot of money if you continue to be good. But the worst place to be is in the middle. You don't get good prospects and you don't make the playoffs. I have a hard time believing that the management and the ownership will be patient with the process. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to do a Dunn. They're going to do a Frazier. They're going to try to go out and get the big bat. You don't have Kenny Williams there. This is not his team anymore. Make no mistake, Kenny's still running the show. Yeah, I, no, I, I don't know. That is my fear. Management will mess this tried-and-true plan up reinsdorf owns the bulls and the Sox. you look at the bulls organization and the Sox. it's very similar he's got people around him that's been around mm-hmm. probably far mm-hmm. too long you look at players who are now on the payroll because he liked them like frank thomas when frank thomas went through his divorce jerry reinsdorf gave him a loan on his deferred money it's yours take it get through this tough spot a lot of people wouldn't have done that but he's loyal to a fault But here's the difference. That man has won seven championships. I know. Six in basketball. Yeah, well, seven total. And when Kenny wants something, he's like, okay, make it happen, Kenny. That's my concern. That's the only concern. No, I understand. I understand your point. But then, I mean, Reinsdorf is, what, in his mid-80s now? Son's going to take over. It's going to be some young minds. I mean, look at the Wurtzes with the Blackhawks. Yeah. Boom, just like that. Three championships. When I see them turning the corner, just being willing to be patient and mm-hmm. not trading some of the prospects away to get what they think somebody's going to get them over the hump quicker, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. let it organically happen. I hope that they do that yeah. because Sox fans are going to be patient as long as the Cubs don't get another World Series. Yeah, what would and listen? You can't. Pro- Cubs, you can't guarantee they, that. The though. Cubs can get in the, as many playoffs as they want. We're in a day and age now that playoffs don't really mean anything anymore. 
Oh, wow. We won the NLCS. Yeah, no. Back in the day when you won a division, when the Sox won the division in 83, it's like, yeah, you know, everyone. This is a different world now because of the monies, the billion dollar contracts that are out there. Now it's okay. Yeah, it's cute that you won, but you need to win it all. The Sox fans got to be smart and say, our time's going to come. Our time's going to come for us to get that brass ring again. Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah. Audio design, editing, mixing is done by the team at Anamnesis Audio. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com or on Twitter. Our handle is at Deeper Dish Shy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com. <laughs>